I want to thank our amazing sponsor today, the Academy Therapy Wisdom. If you're a therapist, counselor, social worker, or in any helping profession, this is for you because this is specifically designed to elevate your practice. The Academy Therapy Wisdom is more than just an educational platform. It's a vibrant community. They offer an expansive range of trauma training courses, workshops, and seminars led by some of the most esteemed experts in our field. We're talking about instructors like Janina Fisher, who brings a wealth of knowledge on trauma, Frank Anderson on trauma and spirituality, Deirdre Fay, who specializes in attachment theory, Darren Young, an expert in multicultural counseling, and Julian Taylor, who dives deep into neurobiology and memory reconsolidation. But what sets the Academy of Therapy Wisdom apart is its commitment to practical, real-world application. You're not just absorbing theories. You're learning from real-world scenarios and case studies that you can directly apply in your practice. Plus, they have a growing selection of self-care programs just for you. And because you're a valued listener to this podcast, the Academy of Therapy Wisdom is offering a free gift of two teaching dialogues between Dr. Frank Anderson and Dr. Janina Fisher. So go to therapywisdom.com slash trauma podcast. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Go to therapywisdom.com slash trauma podcast or click the link in the show notes to discover what the Academy of Therapy Wisdom has in store for you. The Center for Healing Trauma and Attachment, or CADA, founded by the visionary Doreen Hills, is dedicated to providing innovative and compassionate treatment for those seeking profound healing. CADA's mission is clear, to offer driven, passionate, and cutting-edge therapeutic approaches that not only heal trauma, but also address the needs of the soul. They believe that true healing goes beyond symptom management and is about restoring wholeness. So whether you're an individual seeking therapy, a provider, a therapist looking for training, or a member of the community in need of support, CADA offers quality and affordable trainings tailored to your unique needs. To learn more, visit chtainc.org. That's chtainc.org. All right, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to help trauma therapists be their incredible selves, to be human, to be real, not just a clinician. I'm a big believer in who we are is more important than what we know. And this requires cultivating authenticity, genuineness, and vulnerability, and that requires intention. You can learn more about my courses and workshops by going to thetraumatherapistproject.com. That's thetraumatherapistproject.com. Let's get started. All right, here we go. So five, four, three, two, and one. All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast. Very excited to have as my guest today, Vernon Baumrind. Vernon, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. You're welcome. So Vernon is a father of two adult children and the grandfather of four living in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's the author of the book, Deceit. Deceit is a story of a loving father facing formidable legal odds to secure custody of his two small children using wiretap technology. He turns a tide in his favor in the case of a cheating wife and a manipulative gynecologist, a lifelong sexual predator with power and authority whose vile exploits have devastating effects on everyone 
in his sphere. These events happened 45 years ago, but due to the indecent content of the wiretap recordings, the explicit details of the story were kept under wraps, largely because of the tender ages of the two children involved, the content of which would have been detrimental to their formative years. Vernon, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So before we go in here, uh, share with our listeners, Vernon, where you're from originally and where you are currently. Well, I'm from Marion, South Carolina, a small town in South Carolina, about 120 miles. Um, it would be southeast of Charlotte, North Carolina, not too far from Myrtle Beach. So I grew up there. Okay. But I've been in Charlotte since 1985. Okay. All right, Vernon, let's dive in here. What the hell happened? This, this sounds intense and uh, just mind-boggling. <clears throat> right. Um, it was very intense. It was very. It was a very traumatic experience, and it's one that, you know, whether you think you can uh, get beyond just something at some point during your lifetime, you're wrong. It, it never goes away. It's all. There's always a lingering pain. Uh, from the events that happened in in my instance, uh, the wonderful thing is the two two young children uh, in this story turned out extraordinarily well, and for that I'm very grateful. So, uh, as far as what happened, uh, it came to me as a total surprise. It was totally unsuspecting. Um, now I began to have. Uh, I noticed that my wife had become cold, callous, indifferent, distant. Um, this would have been in oh, the fall of 1978. And uh, and you've been married. You were married. We had been married 11 years. OK, 11, OK. 11 and a half years to that point. Wow. The, ch the children were four and two years of age. Um, my wife uh, was. Her doc, her gynecologist was this gynecologist. I won't use his name, um, although all of the you know is, uh, the name is well known throughout the litigations and the cases that took place. Um, so uh, he actually delivered the second child, not the first. He was a junior. I guess a, a, an underling, a new fledgling physician at the time our first child was born. Uh, but when the, it was time for the second child, uh, when that time came around, he actually stepped in and was the delivering doctor and was um, the doctor that she continued with afterwards. Um, very shortly after that time, he and his wife and his two children moved into the same neighborhood as we were in, which was in Florence, South Carolina, um, not too far from where I grew up. Um, so they were neighbors three doors down and across the street. And we were casual friends to begin with. I was, but she you know, knew him well, of course. Um, and uh, they began to we did we did go out several times socially, went to a movie, um, went out to eat several times um and then they started walking going on nightly walks in the neighborhood not every evening but three or four times or two or three times i guess a week 
And uh, I didn't go along because our children were four and two and someone needed to stay home with the children. And uh, that may have been where uh, the relation got started. The relationship got started because it got started in his office. But this was, uh, you know, a, a further uh, point of contact with these nightly walks. Um, and this sort of went on for a couple of months. And then and that's when I began to feel this distance from her. And um, it got intense enough that I suggested that we get marriage counseling, which we she wouldn't do it initially. Eventually, she um, agreed to go. We went, I think it was twice together. And of course, the marriage counselor met with us separately. Um, and then I think on the uh, probably uh, that second meeting with him, he suggested to me that um, I seek legal uh, legal assistance, that there was no reason for us to continue. Okay. Uh, that that she she didn't have an interest in continuing, but still I still didn't know about the relationship. I was uh, well. You knew about the nightly walks. I knew about the nightly walks, right? Okay. Well, I mean, well, I, you must have been suspecting something. Uh, kind of, no. I I didn't suspect him. I didn't. I didn't expect what had what was occurring. No. Okay. I just, there was something wrong. Okay. Um, and I guess that went on. I was a little oblivious, of course. Okay. Um, very much in love with her. Told the the, the uh, counselor that I was in love with her when I was asked. Um, and apparently, she was honest with him um, th- th- about the relationship. Okay. Um, so it wasn't, but a, probably a day or two after the last meeting with the the counselor that she announced that she didn't love me any longer and she wanted us to separate, but it was Christmas time and she didn't want to disrupt the children's Christmas season and asked me to move into the bedroom, the empty bedroom upstairs in the house, uh, which I did. Uh, But of course, you know, there was some conversation about, you know, what, what is, what's happened here. Mm -hmm. Uh, She basically wouldn't discuss it with me. Um, and again, I was oblivious, um, but I think it was maybe the next day, you know, I'm I'm cogitating all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The next day um, is a Wednesday. Um, it, and she had uh, several weeks before this had asked me if I would come home early from work and keep the children for her, babysit for her so she could go out shopping on Wednesday afternoon. So on this Wednesday, I think it was December the 6th, I'm pushing the children in the swings in the backyard. I mean, I'm with them all afternoon. I'm pushing them in the swings in the backyard. I'm just miserable. We, You know, she's refused to go back to marriage counseling. I know that she doesn't love me anymore, that, that she, after sometime, probably after New Year's, I'm going to be booted out of the house. I'm going to lose my children. I've already, obviously, I've already lost her. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to lose my children. When my children were 
nothing more important to me than her and my children. If I may, why sure. are, why are you thinking at that time you're going to lose your children and you're going to be booted out of the house? Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and where ever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. Going Inside is a new podcast on a mission to help you heal from trauma and connect with your authentic self. Hosted by licensed trauma therapist John Clark, this show explores trauma healing through the lens of internal family systems therapy with detours into EMDR, somatic experiencing, and much more. Tune in for enlightening guest expert interviews, immersive solo deep dives, real therapy sessions, and soothing guided meditations. Head on over to johnclarktherapy.com slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. Once again, head on over to johnclarktherapy.com forward slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. As opposed to thinking, or maybe we can get 50-50 custody, or why was that your, or was that your go-to th- thinking? Uh, well, <laughs> I think I was naive enough not to be aware of what was happening, you know, earlier mm-hmm. on, uh, but I wasn't naive enough to think um, that there, it was, this was going to be anything more than a tragedy by way of her getting a divorce, keeping the children, and okay. then getting together with this doctor, which, of course, he would have to get a divorce as well, which ultimately is what happened. Um, it's, so I'm not going to put anything at that point. I'm not putting anything at chance. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, well, actually what happened, I'm so I'm sw- swinging the children in the swings. I'm pushing them in the swings, and uh, – all of a sudden, it's like the pieces of the puzzle come together for me. It's like somebody handed me a note or whispered it in my ear. Tell, And I knew exactly what's going on. I don't know why it was just all of a sudden, but everything came together. And uh, I knew that his office was closed on Wednesday afternoons. So I put the children in the car and drove to his office. Whoa. This was late Wednesday afternoon, December 6th. So, it, you know, the sky's darkening. This is like 4.45 in the afternoon. Um, we pull up, we pull into the uh, Holiday Inn. This is in downtown Florence, which is right behind his office building. And it, and we didn't wait very long. 
I've got two little children in the back seat and, you know, car seats. And here's their mother coming down the uh, fire escape at the back of his building. Um, and because I watch her go to her car and drive off. And I'm thinking, you know, at a time like that, you're thinking everything within the whole spectrum of human uh, emotions from self-pity to being angry and wanting to, to resort to violence. But I, you know, I realized my children are at stake here and I've lost her. And I, it, 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 this might answer your earlier question. Uh, why would I not think about shared custody? I could tell from her demeanor and the way she was treating me mm-hmm. that that was not in the cards. Got it. It was going to be everything in her mm-hmm. favor. And um, so um, I realized that I've got to control my emotions. I've got to contain my impulse, my wor- my worst impulses. And I got to be smart about this. I got to, I've got to beat them at this thing. Um, and that's what I, I determined. And so um, I, uh, I knew I would have to get home before her because otherwise she'd come home and where are we? And I knew that she would probably go out shopping, you know, go buy a few groceries as a, as her excuse. Right. Uh, uh which is exactly what happened. But the children and I got home um, prior to her getting home and she comes in with a uh, one little bag of groceries and, you know, we were going to put the Christmas tree up that night and uh, that was sort of a traumatic situation too with mm-hmm. all these revelations. And of course I'm having to con- contain myself, which I did. I, I just, I just determined that and I didn't know what was ahead at this point, but there was a lot that unraveled. I, um, I, I knew about the relationship then. I wanted to know what they were talking about. I remembered now that there are times I'd come home and she'd be quickly hanging up the telephone. So you know the pieces of that puzzle came mm-hmm. together. And uh, why, if I if I may interrupt for a second, why didn't you just confront her and say, yeah, okay, good, good question. Uh, and I've had that question posed many times um, because then the husband, almost anywhere in the country, but especially in South Carolina, men don't didn't get custody back in the 1980s, okay. late 80s. That was just unheard of unless the woman was uh, um, alcoholic, uh, hardened criminal. Sure. Abuse, uh, and she was none of those. Okay. So, um, I knew that um, this was going to be an all-out battle, and it was. And uh, so, so the purpose—the purpose of the wiretapping was was what to to catch her or for. Or to help you get custody? Let's talk uh, about that. Yes. Um, well, initially, the purpose of the wiretap was to find out what they were saying. How how involved was she? How um, how determined was she? What what was going on? What was the plan? Where where was this going? Um, 
And so I secured what I needed to tap our telephone. We only had one phone. And of course, you know, this was in 1979. There were no cell phones. So mm-hmm. there was a telephone in the house. And uh, so what I did is I bought an extension phone and the wiretapping device that I needed. I went to a store, an electronic store. Um, Radio Shack or something. Well, <laughs> something like that. Eventually people <laughs> began to use this case because I, I won eventually in the courts and I was vindicated by, uh, from the charges of wiretapping. Um, and a lot of people started going to Radio Shack and buying little devices to tap their telephone. And eventually the government stepped in and they reversed my the case, which w- my case was the precedent setting case that attorneys began to use all over the country to justify to, to justify wiretapping for their clients. Right. And the gov- government said, wait a minute now. No, no. Y'all can't do this. You all. I'm yeah. Southerner. You all can't do this. This man was it was he was what he did was ruled to be legal because the wiretap was installed on a telephone within the confines of his home. It was on wires within the confines of his home. It was his only means of defense. And in fact, the doctor in this case was not entitled to privacy within the confines of his home. So they ruled in my favor, went all the way to the federal Supreme Court. Okay. Through through a writ, what's called a writ of certiorari. The lower court ruled in my favor. Um, and the doctor kept and his attorneys kept appealing and eventually they appealed to the federal Supreme Court through a writ of certiorari, which the, the federal Supreme Court refused to hear. They remanded it back to the state and we went to trial. So you you start tapping the phone and again, the, the purpose is to find out what's going on. Are, are you thinking I'm going to need a defense for my to help get my kids or what's the thought process going on here? Well, that is the, that it was the objective. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to fight with everything I've got to get custody of my children. I felt I was the better parent that was proven to be the case. That's what the judge decided. I, I raised the children on my own. They're wow. in their mid forties at this. In fact, my oldest, Child just turned 50. Oh, boy. And um, they have children themselves at this point. So everything turned out ultimately, but it's very traumatic all the way through. I mean, it sounds so. So you're, you're, you're wired. What did you find out during these wiretaps? Well, uh, <laughs> I've actually placed all of the uh, essential conversations from that wiretap in this book. Wow. Material's very salacious. The first thing that I hear when, you know, the results of the the wiretap on the, because I had been relegated to this room upstairs. I had a little privacy there. And Mm -hmm. so I was able to install this wiretap in the closet of the room that to which I had been relegated because I concealed it where it wouldn't be found. Um, And so the first day, day's conversation, I listened to that night. After she he get off the phone that evening, and the first thing I hear is, hello, hello, where's Doohickey? The doctor asked her, where is Doohickey? 
And from there, very quickly from there, this guy, this man has been, because uh, he's as old as I am. Yeah, this, you know, we're both 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had been um, ad- addicted or uh, pornography was his problem. And he had become perverted with it. Um, and their conversation immediately went to sex. Okay. If he was out of the house, if he wasn't there, I could come over and check you out and um, it just went downhill very, very quickly. And all the conversations were rift with uh, sexual innuendos, not only, not only innuendos, but graphic right. um, discussions. Right, uh, right. And um, this is exactly why I wrote the book was um, uh, because this doctor's behavior persists today in others who follow the same path that he did. And uh, I think it's important for, um, you know, to be able to see how this unscrupulous professional operated and to understand uh, how the tragedy that resulted from his conduct was possible. Mm -hmm. But he was very manipulative throughout. For about 25 days, I had the wiretap intact. Um, So it it was capturing every conversation. At any point, did you confront your wife at that time with this i did not oh, no i did cool. not but i couldn't confront her I, that was something i could i wanted to do that but i couldn't because once once you do that the cat's out of the bag now she's now she's got the upper hand she can right you know she, she can take the action right uh, so uh, how how does it unfold after you at what point after you get these recordings, what do you do with them? What do you, how does the story unfold? Well, after, after I installed the wiretap, I hired detectives, private detectives who were on, on them full time throughout December, 1979. And I hired an attorney, uh, a domestic attorney who was outstanding. And, um, so we we remained quiet as I could, as difficult as that was, for the the balance of the month. Went through Christmas, and the, all these things happened that are in this book. There were some very interesting things that occurred. They met many times. Um, all of it was documented in on January. Yeah, Jan, I think it was December the thirty first. I I called my attorney and I said. I can't contain myself any longer. I'm just about to explode. And he, he said, you don't have to. We have enough. And enough to what? Enough evidence. He said, we're going to file suit for a divorce and custody of the children okay. on Tuesday, which was January 2nd, 1979. And we filed suit against the doctor for alienation of affections, uh, criminal conversation, which is old English law for intimacy with the spouse of another, and malpractice. When, when this went to to court, the uh, judicial, the, the circuit court judge 
uh, rule that uh, malpractice is the result of a, a negligent act. And this was not a negligent act. This was a outrageous act, a willful outrageous act. So he sup- he supplanted the third segment of the lawsuit with outrage. And so we went through litigation on that basis. Was there, I mean, I just went through a divorce a, a year ago, just a year ago. Um, were, I mean, you must have been thinking, or were you thinking, I don't want to presume, about, well, if I take the kids, they're, I'm taking them away from their mom. What was your thought process around that? Uh, it was very painful. I knew how devastating that would be to her. Um, but there were, uh, she was so over the hill with this guy that that he was more important. He became more important than her children. And the family court judge pointed that out. Mm -hmm. I had become a, um, surrogate mother during the month of really leading up to it, the month of November and December, I was with the children all the time and she was out doing her thing. And uh, also in the conversations in the wiretap, there were some comments that were made, you know, what if you lose the, he asked the children, what if you lose the children? This was kind of late in the process, Mm -hmm. late December. And they're beginning to get a sense that um, who are these people following us? And uh, we got to be careful what we say. Oh, they they thought people were following them? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me ask you something, Vernon. Sure. You know, we've talked about the story. The book is called Deceit. Uh, sounds incredible. Uh, how did you do? You know, we haven't really talked about how how you dealt with this. I mean, this sounds friggin' traumatic. Yeah. How did you manage? Did you have friends you talked to? Did you see it there? What? How, what did you do? How did you manage this? Uh, really hard to explain. Um, I think I was able to handle it because I was so, so convinced that she was not going to reverse herself. And there was no way for me, no direction for me to go, but to think of just me and my children. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it didn't necessarily harden me where, in, in fact, um, you'd be surprised to see in this story, it's in the book, the attempts that I made to get her to reverse herself without revealing to her what I knew. Um, there was some measures that I took to show that I, I loved her, but I wasn't letting on that I knew what the issue was because if I did that, um she could kind of sort of take control of the situation and then, and, and could take me to court. And we weren't mm-hmm. really, we didn't have enough evidence yet. I had mm-hmm. to wait until the end of December. I had to wait 25 days for my attorney to tell me we have enough evidence mm-hmm. to, that he was confident that we would succeed in court. And so it was like, I was holding my breath the whole month, not knowing for a fact that I was going to get custody of the children. And I was really determined to get custody of the children because this doctor was a pervert. Mm 
And uh, he he did as it, as you learn in the book, he did this with a lot of women, and oh, eventually really? yeah, his license was suspended. Oh wow! When it was all, when it was all over, and we got through all the litigations, I actually furnished uh, eleven witnesses to women who had contacted me. All this was in the newspapers. It aired oh, on gosh. aired the story aired on twenty twenty ABC's twenty twenty in nineteen eighty five. Oh wow! Um, it was moderated by Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs. They did a little story on it. And um, uh, I began to get calls from all over the country from people wanting to write the story at that time. And my attorney said, Vernon, you you had better write the story and copyright it, or it might be your story, but somebody else is going to do that, and it'll, mm-hmm. they'll own it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I actually threw a get together a 484 page manuscript that I copyrighted and I sat on it all these years because of the content of those conversations. Uh, but you, I, 45 years, 40, 45 why, years. Why 45 years? Uh, well, I, I certainly needed to, you know, wait out, wait until the children were well beyond that. Um, and I think, you know, probably 20 years ago, I probably could have written this story, but I was busy making a living, uh, getting over the five attempts to regain custody. They, the two of them married. Oh, wow. They, they, they initiated attempts to regain custody five times. Every time that would happen, I'm looking at another 35 to 50, $60,000. What? Yeah, so it kept me broke all these years. Oh my God! And then too, I became—I was always a little worried about the content of this, the wiretapping, mm-hmm. and so I was really concerned how that would even affect my adult children. Sure. And um, so you know, why tell this story now? I have people say, "Well." Why Why are you telling this story now? Why didn't you tell it earlier? Well, I'm nearly 80 years of age. And as indicated in the book, for me to take this story uh, to my grave would be derelict. It'd be irresponsible. Uh, and it'd be an injustice to my fellow man. I've, I've waited too long for many people to be able to benefit, you know, by my having postponed the telling of the story. And how, I just, how so? What is your feeling on that? What, why? Why tell the story? Um, because, um, people need to see how people behave and how detrimental it can be. Uh, this doctor was controlling, he was, uh, domineering, he was manipulative. Uh, he had an attitude of entitlement. Um, the most powerful element at play in this story was his overpowering influence, um, which he used to advantage himself. As I've already suggested, he had a compulsion for pornography. Um, it, it, this was revealed by patients and former employees. Um, he used to, his power to leverage himself with pe- females for the purposes um, uh, having nothing to do with the reasons a woman visits her gynecologist. Right. Uh, he preyed on unsuspecting and vulnerable women, exploiting his status as a doctor uh, in a highly unethical fashion. 
Um, all of this was corroborated by witnesses, you know, test witness witness testimony by the medical board. Eventually, when I filed a complaint, all of it's been in the newspapers. Um, you know, people need to know this sort of thing happens. He, he needed to be exposed for his behavior. Sure. And, and there are others that do this even to this day. Right. And so I mean, it's just, I mean, as we kind of wind down here, Vernon, how, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I Good. I mean, to, to yeah, make it I short got, and sweet. Yeah. yeah well, got through wow. All the years. I mean, yeah. the, the name of the book is Defeat. Um, how do people learn about this? How do people learn about you, Vernon? What's the best way? Um, they can actually, uh, you can Google deceitthebook.com, deceitthebook.com. Um, it, it, it'll take you right to, uh, well, the web, my web, the website for the okay. book. Go on that website, and there's a button there that you can click. If you are interested in acquiring the book, you can get an ebook for $5.95. I think the uh, paperback book is probably $12.95, and, and uh, Amazon will mail that to you. Um, but, yeah, you go on the website. There's a button there that you can click that will take you directly to the book on Amazon. Okay. We'll have that linked up here at the show notes page at the traumatherapistpodcast.com. Vernon, appreciate you being on here uh, and, and and sharing this and uh, sharing your story and uh, opening up about it. I mean, it is just so in, intense and, as you said, traumatic. But um, I'm, I'm uh, – glad you're here i'm glad you're on here and uh, looking forward to getting this book out helping to get this book out there for you oh thank you uh, there are a lot of lessons to be learned in this book this book is just full of life's lessons um things like uh, uh you know controlling your impulses containing your worst um inclinations to be violent right yeah Give, give the situation a, an opportunity to either work itself out um, or to protect yourself, which is what I did. All right. Well, all right. All right, Vernon, thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Sure. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.